I'm Jay Wright, head basketball coach of the Villanova Wildcats, and you're listening to the Travel Mug Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Jay Wright just keeps winning. The Villanova coach took the reins of a basketball program that was known but not lauded and turned it into a national dynamo, winning titles in 2018 and 2016. And he did it the right way. Coach and I sat in his office at the Davis Center to discuss participation trophies, tanking, the three-pointer, and whether building a program on one-and-dones or recruits likely to be drafted in the NBA just after their freshman year may not be the special sauce to winning an NCAA championship. Travel mug. Here we go. Coach, first of all, I want to be the millionth person to congratulate you on another championship. It's great to have such a great coach in our area. It makes us really proud. So thank you. Very nice of you, man. Thank you. Uh, and it's uh, uh, a pleasure to be able to work in your hometown. It's really cool. I know you you get to do the same sure. thing, right? Churchville so, native. Churchville, PA, man. Uh, Bucks County boy. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you grew up following Philadelphia sports and everything. So be able to do this in your hometown as a coach is rare. Um, you know, just like your business, we all have to move around a lot usually. So very happy that I can do this at Villanova in my hometown. Start right off with the one and dunce. We're going to talk one and dunce here. So as you know, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, they found that model to be very successful to win championships. Here comes Villanova. And can we call it a four and done or a yeah. five and done? And you win your second in three years. And so... What I want to know is, is this a money ball moment where the entire college basketball world is like, you know what, Coach Wright might have the better way, even if we can get the one and done. You know, that's really interesting, Matt. And I think we're going to find out in these next couple of years of recruiting. We're starting to see it a little bit more. Um, for instance, uh, Kentucky took a fifth-year guy this year, which they've never done before, from Stanford. Uh, just to get an experienced guy on the floor, so I think they've, you know, they they noticed that one of the one of the strengths of our teams was um, that when you have older guys, they're um, they're experienced, intelligent, savvy. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, I would still take some of their guys if we could get them. <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't a plan ever to say we're going to have all four year guys. It was just trying to stay consistent with our culture, and um, and also. A lot of the times, those one and done guys, they just don't want to go to Villanova. You know, they they figure, you know, I'm not going to have to go there and do all the academic work and 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 be a part of all of the other things. I just want to go, get my basketball in order, and get to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are copycats out there already, though? I, I really don't know. I um, I think most teams have been trying to do it like us, um, and. And there be Virginia, for instance. Sure, yeah. Virginia gets upset, but they were as capable of winning the national championship as we were last year. Uh, I think there's a I think there's a lot of teams that you're going to see. And even even when when Kentucky did win it, they had older guys on that team. They had two freshmen in Michael Gilchrist and Anthony Davis, but the other guys on that team were juniors and some were seniors. So it, it can be a mix. Yeah. The the one and done guys get a lot of the attention, but a lot of times the veterans are will get it. The guys that get it done for you. 
Coach, you like the three-pointer, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, I, we didn't have it when I played. I wish we did. And well, I you know, I, I want to talk to you about that because a lot of people may not realize, even in the NBA, it's, it hasn't been, you know, I guess the NBA was in 1979 and the NCAA followed, and it was sort of like a, a build into the uh, tournaments and everything. You made 464 last season. Mikal Bridges had the most. Uh, I'm sure you know all these stats. Do you think, even though you live off a three-pointer, that it was a good decision for the sport to incorporate it? I do. I, I really do. Uh, you know what's funny? Um, someone sent me an article from 1986 where Roly Massimino, in the first year of the three-point contest, uh, three-point first year of the three-pointer being in, in, in college basketball, he tried to get together coaches to create – uh, a groundswell to eliminate the three-pointer. So the, the guy that sent to me is basically saying, you won it because of the three, and you're the school that tried to, <laughs> to shut it down once it started. But I was working for Coach Mass after the national championship, and we were not fans of it in the beginning. Um, and, and even myself, um, I, I, in the, I was not – really, um, I don't think, adept at using it or really a great supporter of it. Because it's too singular? It's too one man doing everything? It, it's, it, it, in a sense, it, it almost felt like a bailout. You know, like you weren't, you weren't being aggressive getting the ball inside. You weren't being physical. You weren't um, taking a higher percentage shot. Um, when really we, we all figured out later, and I think Rick Pitino was one of the first guys to figure this out, that the percentages of shooting a, a three at 33% is actually better than a two at 50%. Number and, work. and less teams shot 50% from two than shot 33% from three. Duh. Yeah. Why not? But we didn't, yeah. duh, we not, none of us figured it out. It took us a while, me included. You went to Bucknell. You played college basketball there. Here's a question for you. The players that you competed against and played with, were they tougher and more team-oriented back then than the players are today? Have things changed? You know, everyone says this generation is soft. What do you think about that? I can answer this um, clearly. In basketball, the sport of basketball, they were tougher and they were more team-oriented. But it was because the rules of the game were different. Like right now in college basketball, there's an emphasis on freedom of movement. That's the term they use. So, you know, if you're cutting through the lane, the referees are told specifically, don't let the defender, what we call chuck the guy, just bang him to slow him up. You're not allowed to do it anymore. But back when we played, that was accepted. Referee Warren basketball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the um, the highest level of that of that basketball. So the rules were different. And we were all taught back then, and even when I started in coaching, no no easy baskets. If a guy was going to the layup, you'd knock him to the ground. Well, you can't do that anymore. It's a flagrant foul. So right away, these guys are, are coming up learning how to play the game differently. The, and and a, the part about being more team-oriented, there just back then there just wasn't as much an emphasis on the individual player. I think there's a number of reasons for it. Our society is that way, but I think a lot of it is is um, is, is sports on TV. There's so many um, networks out there now. Everybody has to find their way of promoting, um, you know, their their league, their team, their players. So they're picking the players. So 
these guys are growing up seeing what's important to our society is the individual, not the team. Mm-hmm. So it's just just natural. They're, I'll tell you what. All right, so if I say they're not as tough and maybe they're not as team-oriented, they're more intelligent, they're more skilled, okay, and they're probably more committed than we were back then. Along these lines, participation trophies. A lot of people talk about how that has sort of, in a way, ruined youth sports and made them softer when they manage to compete at a higher level. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't get up on the soapbox about this, but... Um, because that's kids and parents, and again, I feel like I right, let them parent their kids the way they want to. But um, I know with our own children, Patty and I always looked at every time they lost, every time they didn't win a championship, or any time they didn't play well. It was such a great opportunity for us to throw get, them out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> give them, you know. But I actually always talk to them much more after those experiences than I did after they won. After they won, we never really celebrated that much, but when we saw when they had tough situations or um, or lost, that was a great opportunity to get them to enjoy the process and what they could have learned from it and feel good about themselves for how they competed. We, we always spent time on that, uh, and that's what I think we miss is uh, this idea that if you don't win a championship – uh, you're a failure. It's one of the things I think that ta- that's leading to tanking in pro sports. All these pro sports teams talk about, you know, well, you just got to win a championship, and if you don't, you're going to lose for five years. I, I think that's ridiculous. I-, I think there's a value in a team becoming the best team they could be by the end of the year, even if they don't win the championship. If you saw growth in them, you saw teamwork, they brought you great excitement, um, they competed with the best. It doesn't seem like there's much value in that to pro sports owners. I think you make great points there, and it's funny that these points are being made not too far away from a team, the Sixers, that did tank. Yeah, I I get it. It's intelligent, but I don't – I wouldn't want to be a part of it, you know. And I really admire Brett Brown being able to keep his – He'll be a saint one day. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I was, I was going to use the word sanity. You said saint. I was, to keep his sanity and his perspective through that because he wasn't trying to tank. As the coach, he was told, look, this is what we're going to do as an organization, but your job is to get the best product on the floor we can using what we give you, right? Mm-hmm. He's done an incredible job. So it's so rewarding for me just as a coach to see him – be given the opportunity to take the team on this part of the journey where they are trying to win. Some coaches, they find great success in NCAA in a variety of sports, and they go to the pros and it doesn't work out. Uh, I'll throw some names. Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier in football, Rick Pitino, John Calipari, a gentleman you know in the NBA. Why does it sometimes not translate into the pros? Well, the simple answer, Matt, is they usually get the jobs – that the owners don't want to give to the experienced experienced pro coaches. They get the younger teams, the teams that are down. So they're either giving them a young team that they want them to develop or they're giving them a bad team that they expect them to create sure. some magic. Like, all right, I know we're not that good. Let's get the best guy in college. Maybe he can, maybe he can create some magic here. That's part of it. 
Part of it also is it's it's hard. It's it, professional coaching is hard, and in college, we are really the CEOs. We are the general managers, the presidents, and the coaches. When those guys get to the NBA or the NFL, they're the coach. There's a general manager over them, a president over them, and they don't get to pick the people they want all the time. So. That, that would be my two answers. There's probably a lot of other little variables, but they're the two main reasons. And I know people have asked you about whether you ever want to coach in the NBA, and I'm sure you've thought of it. And I know there were links to you and the Sixers having had discussions. Do you see this in the near future, far future? You know, it's crazy. I say all that to you, right? And then I say, yeah, I would love to coach in the NBA. <laughs> it's just it's the greatest challenge. You, 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 you have the best players, and you're only coaching basketball. Um, what, what I love about college is there's so much more to it than just the basketball part. I, and I love the basketball part, but, um, you know, you, you and I have talked, we're, we're doing this this morning. I met with uh, Key Bank and their sponsor here with our players to talk about life after basketball. Um, you know, and I met with our captains earlier about being leaders, and so and and about you change lives more than you wouldn't. Yeah, I, and I love that. So I just don't want to give that up. You know, mm -hmm. I, to just coach basketball. It's not that I wouldn't like to coach in the NBA. It's just that I love what I'm doing here so much. I don't want to give it up. As a head coach here, and in politics, and business, in the news business, you to be a great leader, you need to get people to do things they don't want to do. Yeah. How do you do that, Coach Wright? Well, you said that real well. It's, it's really, a lot of times, it's getting people to do what they don't want to do to get them where they want to go. You know, there's always a point where you have to get somebody to do something that's difficult for them that they don't like. But then eventually you have to get them to understand, I'm glad I did this now. And now I want to take on the responsibility for getting myself there. Right? That's, that's the process. So... You, you first have to develop trust, right? You have to develop trust that I'm going to be honest with you, but I know what your goal is, and we agree on the goal. What we don't agree on is the process towards the goal. So you have to trust me to get you there and trust that eventually you're going to be glad you did this, and then you're, you have to get to your goal, you have to take over my mindset yourself. I, I can't get you there. It's one of the things in recruiting when guys say, like, I'm going to make you a pro to a young guy. I, I, we don't make anybody pros. We, we give them the path, and and we, we work with them and encourage them, but eventually they have to take ownership and say, I got this now. I'm going to take the, the, the bulls by the horn, and I'm going to be the one that's going to get me there. And th that's, that, that's the beauty of coaching. You have moments of self-doubt, right? You mean like sometimes I'm on the air, I'm like, I'm sucking today. <laughs> you know? How do you get but, through those? But I think, but I think just what you said is, is really important to, to realize that we're not, none of us are supposed to be perfect. We're, we're, we're trying our best. But if we, if we act like we're perfect all the time or don't admit that we had a bad day or we failed, then we're not going to get better, right? We, we all have to keep getting better. And, uh, you know, one of the things we always say to our guys is let's look at every situation and let's let's look at what failure is. You know, let's let's define it. Let's define failure. We, we all talk about not fearing failure. Well, if you're not going to fear it, you better define it first. So 
Uh, let's look at this season, for instance. Uh, we don't win a national championship again. To a lot of people, we're going to be failures. We don't win a Big East championship. I think we've won, I don't know, five or something in the last five years or four years. Um, but that's going to be a failure to a lot of people. All right. What if that happens? Can, can we deal with that? What will we do? Right, we'll, we'll go back to work. We'll learn from it. So can we handle that? Yeah. So let's not worry about that anymore. We got that. Let's concentrate on Let's go all in to be the best we can be. And at the end of the year, let's take personally, let's take uh, the opportunity to say we will take the results of our best effort. Other people might not. And they might call us a failure. We can handle that. But we're all in, and so we don't fear that, and we're going 100 miles an hour straight forward. You get tired of people telling you how great you dress? <laughs> no. <laughs> but You actually dress very very nicely now, and people can't see you, but, I mean, this is how you, no, how you no. roll. No, no, I, I, I got dressed up for you today. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no, well, I actually had an event before this. I had to wear a suit. So, so excuses, excuses. But you, usually during a day... Um, you know, I'm always in, in basketball gear, which I love. Mm-hmm. And if you gave me my choice, I, I, I like dress down the shore, like flip-flops and oh, T-shirt. Me too, me too. That's what I like the best. But if you're going to do it, like you had to work today, if you're going to do it, do it well. You sure, look good, sure. man. So we try. Favorite basketball player of all time? Um, you know what? One of my favorite players was Chris Ford, who played here at Villanova. In the, when I was a kid, he played in the 70s, early 70s, then went on to play in the NBA. I had a lot of favorites, but... He was one that's a Villanova guy and a local guy. Tenacity, effort, was that? No. Actually, I was younger. He was he was a little bit of a hot dog. Like, he would throw behind-the-back passes. He was kind of a Villanova's version of Pete Maravich back then. <laughs> that's before I really learned what was important, but he caught my eye. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't learn that until I got a little bit older in high school, how important toughness, tenacity how important that was. I, I like the flair early. Last question. Should NCAA athletes get paid, and will they get paid one day, whatever you think? I don't think they should get paid. I think they, um, I think they should be given uh, as much as we can give them to help them get their degree, help them grow into the best people and the best students they can be, help them after college basketball if they haven't completed the degree. And while they're in school, make it a comfortable lifestyle for them. So that, that's a lot of money, believe it or not. So, But the reason I say not just give the money, because I think in college, given the competitiveness of recruiting, once you start handing guys money, <clears throat> then, yes, it blows up. Yeah, you, you're going to open up a can of worms that we're never going to be able to put the lid on. And then you're never going to have what's so pure in college basketball, I think, even though we have our, we make our mistakes, is students who are going to class with their fellow students playing on a large stage and then coming back and going to class with their fellow students. It's such a – there's nowhere else in the world we do it. And it's so unique to the United States – and it's such a great experience for the guys that play and the guys that are in, and girls that are in the classroom. I get it all the time with graduates will say to me, like, hey, I was in class. I went to school with Kerry Kittles. And I remember he was in a played a game at Providence, and I watched him on TV, and the next morning he was in my 8 o'clock class. It's just 
it's just so unique to our country. I would hate to lose that. Coach Jay Wright, thank you for joining us on the Travel Mug Podcast. And go Wildcats. Yeah, man. Go Cats. <laughs> Thanks. Our thanks to Coach Wright and Assistant Athletic Director Mike Sheridan for making this happen. Music for the Travel Mug Podcast provided by A Pregnant Light. Find their music on Bandcamp. Subscribe to the Travel Mug Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have loads of other great local interviews on topics that pierce deeply through the headlines. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Travel Mug, over and out.